this weekend, Netflix went down for about two and a half hours. And social media lit up with the folks that were enraged that they could not binge-watch their shows on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, I saw some of the comments people were making about how upset they were that Netflix was down. Matter of fact, the USA Today actually wrote an article about this, and the title of the article was this. Netflix goes down, people freak out, discover real life. You know, there's something for us to learn in that, isn't there? We can become so insulated by the mundane and by the trivial that we are missing out on real life. We can be so caught up in the things that this world has to offer that we can actually miss out on God's purpose for our lives. And that would be a shame. So I want us to talk about God's purpose for your life and God's purpose for my life. And we'll be in Acts chapter 22. So turn there with me, Acts chapter 22, as we continue our study through the book of Acts. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, Acts 22, verse 12. A few weeks ago, I began a sermon that had three points, and I only got to the first two. Well, after that, we had our Global Impact Conference. Last week, we had a special Lord's Supper service, so I'm just now getting back to point number three. And you thought I forgot about it, didn't you? But we're going to finish the sermon uh, this morning. A few weeks ago, the sermon was titled, What's Your Story? And so the title of the sermon this morning is, What's Your Story? Part 2. Isn't that creative? Do you like that? All right. Acts chapter 22 Verse 12, I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We are jumping right into the middle of a testimony that Paul is sharing about his life with an angry Jewish mob. He says there in verse 12, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and just by way of context, Ananias came to him after his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. He came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Saul encountered a bright light as he went to Damascus. That bright light was the manifest presence of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and he was blinded by that brightness. He said, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you, watch this, to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause once again to give you the glory that you alone deserve. You are the reason that we're here. You are the center of attention. And we want to see your great name exalted above all else. So would you work in our midst as your word goes forth, Lord, accompany your word by the power of your spirit, that we might understand your word and seek to obey your word. We don't want to just be hearers, Lord. We want to be hearers and doers of 
the word. And so would you work in our midst. May Jesus Christ and his saving work be exalted in our midst. May we leave today, Lord, being changed. And may we never be the same because of our encounter we have with you in these moments. Well, thank you and praise you, Lord, for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We followed Paul on three missionary journeys throughout the book of Acts. And we've seen that at the end of his third missionary journey, Paul traveled back to Jerusalem. He wanted to touch base with the leaders of the Jerusalem church. He was taking an offering from the churches in Macedonia to help the Christians who were struggling in Judea. He was going to deliver that when he arrived. But Paul understood, because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him, that when he arrived in Jerusalem, he would encounter great hardship. As a matter of fact... Paul knew he would be imprisoned because of his preaching of the gospel. And that's exactly what happened. Paul came into Jerusalem and uh, the Jewish uh, leaders whipped the, uh, the Jewish crowds into a frenzied mob so that they were ready to tear Paul limb from limb because he was preaching Jesus and they thought that meant he was diminishing uh, the law of Moses. And they were so... Uh, bent on maintaining their traditions and their view that the law is what makes you righteous with God. They did not want to hear the message of grace through Jesus Christ. And so they were ceasing to silence Paul uh, in this mob-like setting. Well, the Roman soldiers who were in Jerusalem, who had the job of keeping peace, heard there was a mob, and they show up, and they see that Paul's about to be killed, so they take Paul into custody to get him away from the mob, and they're carrying him away to a safe place. But as they are carrying him away, uh, Paul says to the centurion, the leader of the Roman troops, I want to address this crowd that wants to kill me. And so they give him a moment to address this mob. And Paul stands up. And he begins to share with them his testimony, his story of his background and how he came to faith in Christ and the difference that is made. And I told you a few weeks ago that as we look at the elements of Paul's story, his testimony, it helps us to think about our story, our testimony. And and so we've been looking at Paul's story to think about different questions related to our story. So a few weeks ago... Uh, we ask these first two questions. The first question is this. Does your past define you or does it magnify the grace of God? Paul, in this testimony, mentions his past. But he's not magnifying or glorifying his past. He's magnifying the grace of God that has changed him so radically. And a lot of folks can't get past their past. They're living in shame and guilt and they don't understand all that Jesus Christ has done for them. But if we will embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he forgives us of our past and redeems our past and sets us on a new trajectory. And a watching world can see against the backdrop of our past how marvelous his grace is that changes lives, right? So he asks the question, does your past define you? Are you still living in your past? Or does it simply magnify the grace of God in your life? The second question we asked was, What have you done with Jesus? Paul encountered the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and embraced him as Lord and Savior. So I ask this question, have you embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior or have you rejected him? And I told you that where a person spends eternity, heaven or hell, is based upon what they do with Jesus here in this life. So it's a crucial question. What have you done with Jesus? But... As we see Paul's testimony continue to unfold, it leads us to ask 
a third question about our story. As we look at Paul's story, we're thinking about our story. Here's the third question. Are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? If you've met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, the question then becomes, are you living in the middle of His purpose for your life? Here in our text we just read, he mentions Ananias coming to him, and God used Ananias as a mouthpiece to begin to point Paul to God's purpose for his life. And so... I want to ask that question, are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? And I want to give you some thoughts as to how you can know God's purpose for your life and how you can follow God's purpose for your life. So I've been on being very practical this morning to help you to really think through these issues. But here's what I want to start with. You listening to me? God has a purpose for your life. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And he has a definite plan and purpose for your life. That's our starting place. So how do we discover that? Well, as we look at our text, we see that God clearly communicated to Paul what his will was for Paul. He uses Ananias, starting in verse 12, this devout Jewish believer, to come to to, to Paul, lay hands on him so he can restore his sight, to give him his first instructions. And he says to him there, you will be a witness for him to every, every one of what you have seen and heard. So he's pointing to Paul. Now that you've encountered Jesus in this dramatic Damascus Road experience, God's going to use you to share this story of your encounter with Jesus to, to everyone. And, and then he gets more specific there in verse 21, where the Lord says to Paul, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So God revealed his big picture purpose for Paul's life. You will be a witness of the risen Lord Jesus, uh, for the most part, to the Gentile world. You will be the lead missionary to the non-Jews. And that was Paul's purpose that God had for him. So I want to show you how God kind of gives this purpose to Paul and help us think about how he gives his purpose to us. First of all, God gave him the big picture. God gave him the big picture. Again, he says, I want you to be a witness, or you will be a witness, everything you've seen and heard. And then in verse 21, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. And so God gave Paul this, 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 this kind of vision of how he was going to use his life, the big picture purpose for Paul's life. Which leads to this question. How do we know God's big picture purpose for our lives? How do we know that we're living right in the middle of what God has for us and what God wants us to do? Let me give you some thoughts. Here's the first thought. This is so important. When we are fulfilling God's purpose for our lives, we will feel God's pleasure. When we're fulfilling God's big picture purpose for our lives, we will feel God's pleasure. Now, Ephesians 2.10 is a verse that is often neglected. Because people often quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which are wonderful verses, but they don't get to verse 10. Now, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 are wonderful. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Aren't you grateful this morning for the grace of God? 
Salvation is not something that we achieve by our works, our righteousness. We're not good enough to save ourselves. Salvation is a gift that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So that verse reminds us we don't work our way to heaven. We receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. He's the one that gives us, that grants us eternal life as an absolutely free gift. Great news, right? But you got to keep reading because verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship. Listen, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's an amazing verse. That means if you are a child of God, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, God has prepared some things for your life, some works that he wants you to walk in. He's prepared a a. A, a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you that he wants you individually to walk in. And so the question becomes, how do I know I'm walking in it? Well, I believe if you're walking in those pre-prepared works God has for your individual life, you'll feel God's pleasure. You'll, you'll, you'll know you're right where you need to be. Let, let me show you an example. Turn over to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35, the second book of the Bible. So turn way, way back. Exodus chapter 35, verse 30. The context here is interesting. God had been giving Moses the instructions for the tabernacle, the structure that would be built that would house the uh, table of showbread and the altar of incense and the lampstand and the Ark of the Covenant, these furnishings that had so much meaning. And the tabernacle would house these different things. So God gave instructions as to how these things were to be built and what it would look like, the materials that would be used. Very, very detailed instructions. But then God wants Moses to understand, I have given some people the ability to carry out what I want done. So look what it says in Exodus chapter 35, verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri. Notice the Lord knows Bezalel by name. The son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He even knows his dad and his granddad's name, right? He knows him. He has filled him, the Bible says, with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So the Lord has taken these men and given them very specific skill sets so they could accomplish what he wanted them to accomplish to build the tabernacle and its furnishings. But look what happens in the life of Oholiab and Bezalel when they begin this work. Look what it says in chapter 36, verse 2. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Watch this. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. So not only did God give these men the skill and ability to build these different things that needed to be built, God stirred them up to give them a passion for the work. So I believe 
that if we're in the middle of God's purpose for our lives, we will experience that same stirring because we're right where God wants us to be and we'll have a passion for that work. One of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire. And uh, that movie tells the story of a couple of different men. One of them is Eric Liddell, who was a great Olympic star in Great Britain in the 1920s. Eventually, he left Great Britain and went to China, where he served as a missionary. He grew up on the mission field. His parents were missionaries in China. He went back to China, eventually was martyred for uh, his faith in Christ in China. But the movie's about his time in the Olympics. It's a, it's a great story. And there's a scene in there where Eric Liddell is talking to his sister. And he says to his sister, God made me fast. And he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. It's a great line. When I'm doing what God wired me and designed for me to do, I feel God's pleasure. Now let me ask you a question. Do you feel God's pleasure in your life? Do you feel like you're right in the middle of what God has for you? Or are you just insulating yourself with Netflix? Do you feel God's pleasure because you're doing what God has wired you to do, what he's gifted you to do, and you feel that passion as you do it, as he stirs your heart? Now, that leads to some good questions. Wait, I, I, I want that. I want to know God's big picture for my life. I want to know God's purpose for my life. How do I get there? Well, let me encourage you to ask God these big picture questions. And, and by asking God, I mean get alone with God on your knees and, and really ask God these different questions and have a conversation with Him about these things. And by the way, as you talk about this sermon next week in your Connect group, these are some great questions for you to discuss as you've gone to God and, and sought God's heart on these questions. Here's the first big picture question. God, how have you shaped my life? How have you shaped my life? What's my background? Where did I live? Where did I grow up? You know, what have you done in my life? How have you shaped me and, and, and molded me from my past? How have you shaped my life? Now that quote from Eric Liddell in Chariots of Fire is a quote that was made up for the movies. There's no um, recording of that quote, I feel God's pleasure when I run, uh, in any writings or sermons of Eric Liddell. Now, it certainly is in concert with, with how he believed, but we have no record of actually saying that. Let me tell you what we do have record of Eric Liddell actually saying many times. Eric Liddell would say, God made me for China. He said that a lot. He grew up on the mission field with missionary parents. And even as he was winning record or breaking records and winning gold medals and he was the toast of the town in Great Britain as this great track star he could not get China off of his heart and because he understood how God had shaped him because he understood that he was made for China he went back to China even to experience martyrdom so the question is God how have you shaped my life as I look back what do I see what patterns do I see in my life, that could give me an indicator of what you have for me. Second question, ask God. God, how am I wired and what am I good at? 
Oholiab and Bezalel, they had some skills, didn't they? They could engrave and, and, and do these different intricate things that needed to be done. They were skilled craftsmen. How has God wired you? What are you good at? What are some skills that you have? And, and how might God, listen to me, how might God leverage that skill set for the Great Commission? How might God use your abilities and talents for His glory? Begin to think about that question. God, how have you wired me? What am I good at? What am I interested in? Here's the third big picture question. God, what gets me excited? What gets me excited? When I think about something, it it just makes my heart beat a little faster. I can't get it out of my mind. I lie awake at night thinking about that thing. Lord, is there something in my life that is related to your purposes, your plan, the Great Commission, that when I think about it, I just get excited. What gets me excited? Or let me ask it another way. This is a great question. You ready? If money was no object, what would I attempt for the glory of God? That's a great question. If money were no object, and by the way, money is no object to God. If money were no object, what would I attempt for the glory of God? That can help you to understand, hey, what what gets me excited? What do I want to see happen in this world under the umbrella of God's Great Commission purposes? Here's another question to ask God. This is so obvious, it almost goes without saying, but we got to say it. You ready? God, what do you want me to do? Isn't that a novel concept? Asking God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you have for my life? Show me, guide me, direct me. What do you want me to do? Ask God on your knees these big picture questions and and allow God to begin to lead you toward his big picture purpose for your life. And so God gives Paul, first of all, the big picture. Picture, but there's a second thing that happens in our text back in Acts 22. God gave him the next step in fulfilling his purpose. So when God said, you're going to be my witness to everything you've seen and heard, you're going to be a missionary to the Gentiles, Paul didn't know what that meant. He didn't know that meant three missionary journeys and writing scripture through the inspiration of the Spirit. He didn't know all that that meant. He just needed to know the next step. How do I begin to move toward your purpose for my life? Now listen, if we're going to take the next step towards the purpose God has for us, it's going to take sensitivity to God's leadership. So what I want to talk to you about just for a few moments in a very practical way is how you discern God's guidance in your life. We're going to talk about the will of God. And this could be a sermon series in and of itself. So I'm going to go quickly and just kind of hit some high points, but some good practical thoughts for you to think through. Okay, wait, I want to move towards my, God's purpose for my life. I want to know the next step that, that God has for me. How do I get there? How do I discern what God wants me to do? How can I be sensitive to God's leadership in my life? Let me give you some thoughts about how we can live in that kind of sensitivity. Number one, listen to God's word. Look what it says in verse 18. Verse 17, Paul says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, this is after his conversion in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste 
and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So this is kind of interesting. It's like Paul's having kind of an out-of-body experience. He's looking down at the Lord speaking to him in this trance. And God is using this to get Paul's attention to let Paul know, hey, God has some instruction for you as to the next step. And the next step is get out of Jerusalem. They want to kill you. Get out of town. But notice here, Paul is responding to God's word. Now listen to me. You and I have something Paul did not have. You and I have the completed canon of Scripture. Genesis through Revelation. God's word for us. And reading your Bible is better than a a vision or an experience because you can misinterpret visions, you can misinterpret experiences, but the Bible is a sure word of prophecy given to God through human instruments. So we have the very word of God to man, right? An inestimable privilege that we can open up our Bibles and read and have God speak to us. And if you want to discern God's will for your life, If you want to be sensitive to the next step God has for you, you've got to be in the Word. Because as you read the Bible systematically and consistently, God uses His Word to shape your mind. The Bible speaks of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. So as you're in the Scripture and the Spirit uses the Scripture in your life, you begin to think more like Jesus and begin to look at life from a biblical perspective, through a biblical lens, you begin to to live out a biblical worldview, and you begin to make decisions that are in concert with God's truth. And that happens over time as you read God's Word. You learn more about God's promises, about God's will, about God's way, about God's principle. You begin to look at life from a a perspective of wisdom. Listen, you cannot... Follow God's leadership for your life apart from a regular intake of God's Word. You cannot put your Bible on the shelf and let it collect dust and say, God, what do you want me to do? God speaks to us. He shapes us by His Word. So let me just, again, very practically, let me encourage you to systematically read through God's Word. Get a Bible reading plan, go to Google and type in Bible reading plans, and there will be a bunch of them that come up. I got some I can suggest to you. And get a Bible reading plan so that every year, every two years, you are reading through every book of the Bible. You read Leviticus, and you're reading Habakkuk, and you're reading Amos, and you're reading Revelation, and you're reading James, and you're reading 1 Peter, and you're reading 2 Samuel, and you're reading Genesis. I mean, you're reading all of God's counsel every year, every two years. So you're being shaped by God's truth. I cannot stress enough How important it is that if you want to follow God to your purpose, if you want to know what God's next step is for your life, you must be a person of the book, saturated with Scripture. You got that? Did I say that strong enough? Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. You'd be amazed how God guides you and shapes you and leads you. The second thing is, Talk to God in prayer. Notice in verse 19, Paul is recounting this experience. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. When the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And so we see here, uh, Paul is having a conversation with the Lord. You know what that is? That's prayer. 
when you talk to God, that is prayer. That's spending time with the Lord, communion with the Lord. Talk to God in prayers. You spend time with Him and He applies His Word to your life by by His Spirit and begins to mold you and make you. He begins to lead you and guide you and gives you that sensitivity to His leadership in your life. So talk to God in prayer. Ask God what you should do. You know, the Bible says in James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. So if you need wisdom to discern the next step, ask God for wisdom. Amen? And the Bible says he'll give it to you if you don't doubt. God will always come through with wisdom if you ask with an open heart. He'll always give you the wisdom you need to discern the next step. So talk to God in prayer. Third, listen to other godly people. Listen to other godly people. Let me show you what happens in Paul's life. I want to take you to the original story he's talking about in Acts 22. Turn to Acts 9, verse 26. This is the story he's referring to in the 22nd chapter as he tells his story. Acts 9, verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, Paul... He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, we understand this. Paul was uh, a first-century terrorist. I mean, he was. He was dragging Christians out of their home, throwing them in jail, overseeing uh, the cloaks while men threw stones at Stephen and killed him. He was a persecutor of the church. And all of a sudden, he shows up at church and says, I'm saved. And he sat down by other Christians. They're thinking, oh, I don't know. Now, what if some well-known terrorist who hates Christians had a conversion experience and they show up at church and they're sitting by you next Sunday? You'd have the same thought, wouldn't you? I don't know. Well, Barnabas, the encourager, look what happens, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. I love that. Barnabas puts his arm around Paul and brings him into the family of God. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem. Paul did, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, the other Christians, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So God's saying, Paul, get out of town. They want to kill you. And then, as confirmation, these other believers say, Paul, get out of town. They want to kill you. Their wise, godly, caring counsel lined up with God's guidance for Paul's life. So as you are seeking the next step for your life, whatever that is, and you're in the Word and you're talking to God in prayer, it's time to go to some godly folks that love Jesus and care about you and and begin to bounce some things off of them and let them give you some feedback. And you'd be amazed at how helpful that feedback can be. But listen to me very carefully. You need to make sure that you're going to godly people. Proverbs says that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So make sure you're going to folks that love Jesus and can give you some good counsel and help to confirm God's direction in your life. And so, how can we be sensitive to God's guidance towards our next step? Listen to God's Word, talk to God in prayer, listen to other godly people. Next, evaluate your desires. Evaluate your desires. 
Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the, the desires of your heart. I don't believe that means that if you love Jesus, he'll give you anything that you want. That's called prosperity theology and it's, it's wrong. Other scriptures help us to understand that is not what that verse means. Psalm 37.4 means that if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, if he's first place in your life, if you're pursuing him, if your relationship with him is the primary thing, then he will fill your heart with good and godly desires. And so as you are walking with God in the word, praying, talking to godly folks, and you're trying to decide, what's my next step? Begin to evaluate, what do I want to do? What am I passionate about? I mean, what, what really captures my heart? I mean, what am I, what am I desiring in this situation? Evaluate your desires. Martin Luther said this in the 16th century, love God and do what you want. Now that's a provocative statement, isn't it? But here's what he means. If you love God, if he's number one in your life, what you want to, be, what you want to do will be the right thing to do. Right? Love God, do what you want. So if you are loving God, God will begin to direct you through your desires and your passions. But you've got to be very careful here because if Jesus is not first place, the Bible says, you, listen, your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17, 9, and your heart will lead you astray in a heartbeat. You've got to make sure Jesus is first. And as he's first in your life, he'll begin to direct you through your, through your desires. So when I was in college, I was a believer, but Jesus Christ was not first place in my life. My priorities were, were wrong, and I was pursuing a degree and had all these different kinds of goals. And they were, you know, really worldly-type goals. And, and uh, just kind of doing my thing. And God took me through a very painful process of brokenness. That's the best way I can describe it, where he really got my attention. And as he got my attention, he really used a verse in my life. My pastor helped me with this. Uh, Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about will be added unto you. And when uh, my pastor quoted that verse to me, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was not first in my life. And so for the first time in a long time, I went back to my dorm room, got on my knees, opened my Bible, went to that verse and just prayed a prayer. Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. And really began to seek Jesus preeminently above everything else. Now, shortly thereafter, I mean shortly thereafter, almost immediately, I began to sense a call to preach the gospel. I can't explain it to you. All of a sudden, I began to think about what it would be like to preach to the same group of folks week after week. I don't know where that desire came from. And I began to think things like, I wonder what seminary is like. Why would I think about that? And, 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 and God began to change my desires from all these other goals I had to the point where I could just care less about those things. And he, and he shifted my desires to where I could not see myself doing anything other than preaching the gospel. God did that. He direct, directed me through my desires. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that if I had been walking with God at an earlier age, I would have discerned God's call to preach at an earlier age. But see... Because Jesus Christ was not first in my life, I didn't have ears to hear. Does that make sense? But when I began to seek Jesus first, 
God began to capture my heart and turn my desire in the direction he wanted me to go. That's how I, that's how I explain a call to preach. God changed my desires. And so, if Jesus Christ is first on your priority list, if he is your treasure, if you are pursuing him, you can begin to ask yourself the question, God, what am I passionate about? How are you directing me through my desires? Evaluate your desires. Here's the next thing and last thing. Be decisive and trust God. Be decisive and trust God. So there comes a point where you've been in the Word, you've You've been praying, you've been talking to godly folks, you've been evaluating your desires. Then it's time just to move forward because there's urgency. You want to serve God in the time that he's given you on this earth. And and it's time to move forward. I know a lot of folks that uh, experience the paralysis of analysis. I mean, they, they just don't want to get it wrong. I just don't want to make the wrong move. Well, listen to me. Do the best you can do to discern the direction God's leading and take that next step. And if you got it wrong, listen, God is sovereign. He can always redirect, can he? He can close doors and send you somewhere else. He did it to Paul. Paul was heading to Asia to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit would not allow him to go. Then he had this Macedonian vision to go to Macedonia, so he goes to Greece. He's redirected by God. God got Paul exactly where he wanted him. And so don't be, uh, don't suffer this paralysis by analysis. Get in the Word, pursue Jesus, talk to Him in prayer, talk to godly people, evaluate your desires, but then it's time to do something for the glory of God. It's time to obey, right? It's time to move forward. And God's sovereign. If you get the next step wrong, He's very capable of getting you to the right place. Amen? So be decisive. And trust God. I love this quote from David Platt, the president of our International Mission Board. He writes, If you can trust God to save you for eternity, you can trust Him to lead you for a lifetime. You can trust that God wants to guide you step by step to His big picture purpose for your life. You say, wait, I don't know what that all looks like yet. Well, what's the next step? So again, I don't want this to be autobiographical, but this helps me to explain it because I, I walked through some of these things. When God called me to preach, I didn't know anything about church planting, starting a new church. I never even heard of it. I didn't know that was even a thing. My, I guess you, I realized churches had to start at some point, but I didn't know anything about that. Never read a book. Didn't know anything about any of that. I didn't know, I didn't know there was a place called Hernando, Mississippi. I mean, God didn't give me those details, right? I'm living in, in Perry, Florida. Claire and I getting married. We didn't know all that God had. But you know what I did know at that point? My next step. God made it clear, hey, Wade, you need some preparation bad, right? I mean, you need some theological training. And I knew, I didn't know what we were going to do and where we were going to land and all of that stuff, but I knew my next step. So we came up here to go to seminary, and Claire went to pharmacy school, and and God guided us from there. So ask God, what's the next step toward my purpose, or the purpose you have for my life? Now here's the point. When it comes to God's purpose for our lives, we need, listen, clarity for the big picture, and 
sensitivity for the next step. That's what Paul experienced in this, this story he's telling. He experienced clarity for the big picture God had for him, and then he was sensitive to God's leadership, so he knew what the next step was. I'm not saying today you have to have everything figured out. I'm saying what's the next step? So let me close with this question. Are you living right in the middle of God's purpose for your life? If not, why not?